1: Get your advanced PhD in WoW from Floor and Decor. If you're a pro, you're already an expert in tile, wood, and stone. And with Floor and Decor's job site delivery, their free design services, and pro rewards that actually reward you, your business is set to grow from one client to the next. Floor and Decor isn't just a couple of aisles, it's an entire store designed to help your business boom. It's Floor and Decor. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Kelly Sturette, a doctor of physical therapy, has trained professional athletes, Olympians, and military special operators, helping them unlock peak performance. But as he approached his 50s, he started to see cracks appearing in the health of the folks around him. What had worked for his peers in their 20s and 30s wasn't working anymore. They were gaining weight, having surgeries, and just didn't feel good. So he and his wife and fellow trainer, Juliette decided to write a book, Built to Move, the 10 essential habits to help you move freely and live fully that took all they've learned from training elite performers and distilled it into the foundational practices that everyone at every age can use to develop lasting mobility, durability, and all around health. Today on the show, Kelly unpacks some of those essential physical habits, sharing the vital signs, tests that will help you assess how you're doing in that area as well as daily practices that will help you strengthen and improve that capacity. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is slash build to move. All right, Kelly Storette, welcome back to the show. It is great to be here, my friend. So you've spent your career helping professional athletes, members of the military, achieve elite performance. And I think a lot of people, they probably know you for the book you wrote, man, it's been almost a decade ago, Supple Leopard, which is just this Bible of different movements and things you can do to help you move better so you can perform better. Your new book is uh, Built to Move the 10 essential habits to help you move freely and live fully. This book is focused less on things like setting PRs and more on just what are the building blocks of feeling good and being vital overall over, you know, your whole lifetime. And in the book you talk about 10 physical practices and then, you know, each practice has a test or you know some metrics that you call vital signs to see how you're you're doing with that habit. And this book really resonated with me and we were talking before the podcast I turned 40 recently. Mm. And um, in my 30s I was really in, I'm powerlifting. That was my thing. And I still do it. But what's interesting is when I was 35, 36, I could just go go hard all the time and recover really fast. Yeah. About 2 years ago, injury started popping up. And it was like tendon stuff, just overuse. Your knee hurts. And then your hips are achy. And then in 40, it's the same thing. And now my shift has been moving away from performance, right? Trying to deadlift more and more and more weight to, I just want to be durable. I just don't want to hurt when I get up off of, (laughs) out of a chair. And it's funny. I I was reading, uh, I was rereading Aristotle, his book on rhetoric. And he goes on this tangent about fitness and health and beauty. And it's really poignant. He said this, he says, for a man in his prime. And he thought a man in his prime was like, you know, 30s to maybe 40. He says, for a man in his prime, beauty is fitness for the exertion of warfare, together with a pleasant, but at the same time, formidable appearance. And I can relate to that. When you're in your 20s and 30s, you just want to look jacked. You want to be strong, whatever. And he says, for an old man, beauty and fitness is to be strong enough for such exertion as necessary and to be free from pain through escaping the ravages of old age. And that one, I resonate with Aristotle on that one. I want to yeah. I want to be free from pain, but just strong enough to do what I got to do throughout the day.
0: Yeah. You know, here here's what's really crazy about that is that we're starting to see a generation of young athletes who, you know, follow these principles in the book because they found that it really does enhance the short game. And what you're seeing is, and what we're, appreciating now is that when we are working with young athletes who are making millions of dollars, they realize if they can control their sleep and their minimum ranges of motion, some of these pieces in here, they actually can extend their careers. So it means means a lot of money to them. And then what ends up happening is that universally, the athletes we work with, actually realize they can go harder and they're actually capable of more. And remember, this is a laboratory. So what I'm transferring that to myself now is, you mean I can get to Friday night and feel like I'm not just smoked, that in the afternoons I can get home from my job and actually be more present for my partner and my kids? Okay, I'm in. When my friends say, hey, we're going for a pickup bike ride or basketball game, I feel like I'm not going to injure myself to do that. So these 10 behaviors... You know, we chose these 10 because they're the hinges that open the biggest doors. And simultaneously, if you're not interested in exercise, you don't identify with powerlifting. You don't identify with diet culture. We realize that there's a lot you can do to begin to have a conversation with your body. So you don't end up, you know, just sort of devastated by accident. You took a fall, you lot, you know, your, your bone densities, I mean, just realizing that the long game is the short game. And to what your point is, you know, you don't have to feel wretched and we really haven't empowered people. So if we use an example, you know, pain is a great example of oftentimes the sort of the fulcrum or the catalyst that initiates a lot of conversations with people about their bodies. This pain won't go away. It used to just go away. I just ignore it or take some pro for a few days and it went away. And, Suddenly, people are realizing, hey, I'm living with this thing all the time. Is this who I am now? Like, should your hips hurt? So a couple of things. One is that I want everyone to hear pain is a request for change. Unless you have a clear mechanism, mechanism of injury or you've got something occult going on, like a fever or an infection, something obvious, or your pain is interrupting your ability to occupy your role in your family or do your job, those things are medical problems. They're medical emergencies. I want you to go get help everything else is typical, which means what we've said to a generation of people is that pain is a medical problem. So until you're ready to go talk to a doctor or a physical therapist about it, it's not, it's not serious, or you should just live with it. And what we set up people to do is just to go ahead and self-soothe it any way they want with bourbon, with THC, with uh, you know whatever they could make themselves feel better. And what we're trying to do here is say, hey, look, If we're going to untangle complexity around pain, we need to make sure that you're eating enough protein and micronutrients, that you're sleeping, and that you're moving. And then we can also say, well, hey, these, these tools that we've discovered over the last 15 years to help restore your position and make you bench more, well, they can be redeployed for you and your family when someone's Achilles hurts or their knee hurts. And we realize that we have this real rich tapestry of options that I can drop into my household without having to engage with a physician, without being an expert, and I can start to make myself feel better and ultimately use that as a catalyst to transform how I'm interacting in my world.
1: Okay, so these 10 essential habits, they're great for if you're a young athlete who's keyed in on performance, they'll help you with that. But even if you're not interested in that, you just want to feel good and vital throughout the day. It's going to work for you too. All right, let's let's talk about some of these. You lay out ten tests, and then with each test or marker habits you can do on a daily basis to help you improve that. The first one you talk about is the sit and rise test. What is this test, and why do you think it's important? (laughs) Isn't it great? So this is a test that has been well
0: validated to show all cause mortality and all cause morbidity. If you struggle to sit crisscross applesauce on the floor and then stand up from that position without putting a knee down or putting a hand down, I can't just pop up and down like every five-year-old, right? Ask your kids to do this. They'll crush it because it's not about strength. But what you'll see is, holy moly, I'm stiff. And that stiffness, I can't access my power. I can't access my shapes. And that means that I have fewer movement choices. So I'm like, here, get up and down off the ground holding this baby. And you're like, I can't. I have to hold the baby with two hands. And now I gotta put the baby down. And like you what you start to see is it has these follow-along implications. The number one reason people end up in nursing homes, they can't get up and down off the ground independently. And what's notable, I think, is one of the things that we know is if we were trying to launch a business, save for retirement. Train for the world championships, we set a goal and we work backwards from that goal, but we do not engage in that thinking towards our own health and behaviors. So, if we know that we have this simple idea that really is a nice predictor of how you're going to fare as you get older and stiffer and weaker, theoretically, none of those things have to be true, by the way, then why don't we, one, put it on your radar and show you that, you know, hey, if you got it, no problem, good, keep doing what you're doing. But if this was trickier than you thought or you couldn't do it, let's pay attention to that because the first order of business for all of our interventions is exposure. So the first thing that we're saying is if you're struggling to get up and down off the ground, well, what we want you to do is start spending some time on the ground while you're watching TV every night. Isn't that simple and reasonable? Sit cross-legged, sit 90-90, kneel, it doesn't matter. But if we know that getting up and off the ground ends up being a nice predictor of how well you, and fluently you can move through the world because you have more hip range of motion, you can play better pickleball, you can deadlift better, what you'll see is if your lifestyle is working for you, you'll ace this test. If your lifestyle is introducing what we call a session cost, which is a, a concept we use when we're looking at how gnarly the the session was the day before. So you and I go and do some crazy deadlift workout, and the next day I'm crippled and you're not. I paid a higher session cost for that, right? My force was down, things hurt, I couldn't do it again. Well, we can start applying that session cost idea towards what's going on with my day-to-day living, my movement fluency, the workouts I'm doing, and is that costing me in terms of this sort of third-party validation test, which is, you know, show me you have some hip range motion.
1: Yeah. Okay. So you you lay out the test. It's really simple. So everyone can do this right now. They're listening to us. You just sit on the floor and then get up off the floor. And what you do- Cross-legged. Yeah. Cross-legged. Cross-legged. Right. Uh, And you start off, you give yourself a score of 10, and then you subtract a point if you do one of the following. Brace yourself with your hand or the wall, place a hand on the ground, touching your knee to the floor, supporting yourself on the side of your legs, losing your balance. And if you do that, you subtract. If If you have a low score, it means like, well, you got- room for improvement. That's
0: right. That's the right word. Yeah, You got room for for improvement. It's not bad. You got room for improvement.
1: I think that's a good point you made about, you know, most people go to nursing homes because they can't get up off the ground, right? Because like, as soon as you can't move independently, you're going to need 24-7 support care there. And it just usually starts going downhill from there. And you hear about, I mean, like when you hear about like an older elderly person, they fall down, they break a hip. You think, oh man, this is This is bad. They're probably not going to be around much longer. You know, not to be macabre here, but one of the greatest predictors of the
0: gnarliest things that can happen to you is to break a hip after 70. Like the research is like you die within five. I mean, it's so bad. And you have to understand exactly what you're saying. I suddenly lost my mobility. I can't feed myself. I can't move. I'm, I'm bedridden. I lose my muscle mass. I lose my conditioning. I lose my bone density. I lose my, and then my brain starts to go and my social connections start to go you know, one of the things that we're, I think, obsessed with in this culture is like all the hard science, like deadlift more wattage poundage, but all of the ancillary things that happen by being in a community start to go away. If your world gets smaller, one of the things that's nice about a lot of these behaviors in the book, like eating as a family is that we're trying to strengthen our social bonds. What we found in COVID was that, holy moly, the brain is a social organ. It needs other brains to actually work and be a brain. And what we know is that we need stronger families, stronger households that are more connected to each other and more connected to their neighbors and their community writ large. And some of those easy ways are to eat together and to go walk around and you know nod your head at your jerk neighbor. I mean, right. it really, it's transformative. So what you're seeing is, When we start making inadvertent choices from lack of choice because we don't realize we're doing certain things, it starts to take away a lot of our movement choice, which ultimately has implications in the kinds of society we find ourselves in in our 50s, 60s, and 70s, 80s, 100. You're going to be 100 years old. 54% of kids who are in the fifth grade right now are going to be 105.
1: And so there's, as you said, to improve on this test, the thing you got to do is just sit on the floor more. And, and there's no, That'd be a great start. Yeah, you right? and that's that's, a, yeah, and there's no specific way you have to sit. You, you do no. crisscross applesauce. I like, my favorite one is the 90-90 yeah. saying, where you kind of put your hips to the side. That feels really good.
0: Yeah, you're working on internal rotation there. And, you know, there's a great writer osteopath, I think. And his name is Philip Beach. And he wrote a book called Muscles and Meridians. And it really is like functional embryology. Just, you know, I just want to throw it out there because I'm a physio and I had to have a bunch of embryology. And if I'd had this book, I'd been stoked on it. I would have understood it more effectively. But he believes that one of the ways the body tunes itself is that we spend time on the floor. It actually opens up our pelvic floors. It restores motion in your low back. It loads tissues, it it loads your hamstrings, it keeps your hip range of motion good, so you have more movement choice. It's one of the ways that our bodies have engaged with the environment for two and a half million years. Look, I'm not pint, like I live in a cool mid-century modern house. I love it. But we have to appreciate that just a few, you know, hundred years ago, we did a lot more sitting on the ground, toileting on the ground, eating on the ground building fires and hanging on the ground. So it's almost like we know intuitively that, okay, if this is one of the things that actually helps the body work better, well, it's pretty easy for you to watch TV at night and sit on the ground for 30 minutes. Just sit on the ground for a little bit. And you'll see that you're like, oh, there's my roller. Maybe I'll roll my calves out. But exposing yourself to these bigger ranges of motion and fidgeting around, you'll see aggregates. And we start to stack these behaviors these behaviors start to compound. And if you get 30 minutes of sitting on the ground seven days a week, you're starting to spend a lot of time in these fundamental positions that do things like improve your squat, improve your ability to run up the hill, right? make your back feel better, make your knees feel better, et cetera, et cetera.
1: All right, let's talk about the next vital sign, which is breathing. When you Mm. have an assessment, the breathe pull test, what's going on there?
0: The body oxygen level test. So I think breathing's had its moment, right? It's You know, Wim Hof gets everyone going, Laird Hamilton. We have Patrick McCune of Oxygen Advantage. There's so many great systems. And well, it's not like the yogis have been talking about this forever. But what we discovered was there was a lot of low-hanging fruit in terms of improving people's VO2 max and mechanical ventilation. So this is why this matters. If you come to me as a physical therapist, and you're like, Kelly, I have back pain. There's three things we're going to talk about day one, no matter what. We're going to talk about your sleep, because if you're not sleeping that eight hours, it's really difficult for me to figure out, is it your brain or is it your body? What's happening here? Number two, I'm going to make you walk a lot, because I need you to decongest your system, your lymphatic system, which is the sewage of your body. It's built into your musculature, and if you move your musculature, you move your sewers. If you don't move your musculature, the drains block up. And if you've ever seen a gross sink, that's your body if you don't move, that, that backed up sink. You have to flush that stuff, and that's all done through movement. So moving, and then we're going to talk about breathing. And what we're going to see is if the first motion of the trunk, everyone is obsessed with, it's okay to round your back when you deadlift. Of course, your spine's supposed to flex and rotate and twist. But the first movement of the spine is breathing. And what we find is that it's a nice indicator of sort of vitality in terms of you can find positions that allow you to ventilate more so it improves your VO2 max, but breathing more effectively does things like opens up your upper back so you can put your arms over your head, makes your low back feel better, allows you to create more intra-abdominal pressure when you lift. And as we found out in the last 10 years of really monkeying with breathing, that when we got people more CO2 tolerant, which is what the body oxygen level test does, it allows people to access more hemoglobin. So one of the things we found, believe it or not, is that people who had COVID and smoked, that was a bad deal to have those things, but they were more comfortable with lower body oxygen levels in their body. And the reason was, is that they were smoking so much that their CO2 levels were really high and had set their brains at being very comfortable with these lower oxygen levels. Obviously, that's a problem if you can't breathe. But from a performance standpoint, what we found is people whose brains were more comfortable running higher CO2 levels, those people are actually able to strip off more oxygen off the hemoglobin. So the body oxygen level test, is is a simple way of you being aware of how good you are at utilizing what's
1: available to you. And so this, you just hold your breath for as long as you can. You want to, I guess you aim for 30 to 40 seconds. You
0: so exhale. Okay,
1: yeah, and you then, yeah, yeah, exhale. Just and hold take a breath.
0: breath, exhale, and then see how long you can go. Because it turns out you've got plenty of oxygen on board to hold your breath for two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes. What you don't have is a brain that is going to tolerate the skyrocketing CO2 level. So your drive to breathe is actually the rising CO2 level. And what we find is now, because we've been doing this long enough with our athletes, is that now we are, we're seeing athletes be able to breathe nose only, you know, push 90% of their max heart rate. They're much more efficient. They don't have to burn the sugar. But also what we find is, man, if we're going to talk about your neck pain and your jaw pain, we need to talk about your breathing. And getting you to breathe through your nose, getting you to not breathe only up in your neck like you're you know, being chased by cocaine bear, those things really end up making a difference in terms of how your brain perceives you and your environment and the effectiveness of not yanking on your neck every single time you take a breath. So you know, imagine this, you're on the Peloton bike and you're around it and you want to go faster. If I say get into a position where you can take a bigger breath, you'll automatically organize your body in a way where you have better access to your ventilation and better access to your diaphragm. And those shapes can be applied to work, to holding my kid, to rucking, to whatever I want to do.
1: And yeah, the practice that you recommend, you just said it there, just start breathing through your nose only throughout the day.
0: That's one of the practices, super simple. Tape your mouth shut at night. That's become very common. But we also have some breathing drills you can do. And here's one of the things that I want people to understand is that I think we've become habituated to thinking about all of our health behaviors have to occur in these one-hour blocks. That's weird. No one has time to go to a one-hour balance class or one-hour breathing class or one-hour mobility class. If you do anything, I want you to go to the gym. I want you to go to your garage and lift heavy weights. That's what I want you to do. But I want you to bury and hide the reps and everything else. So we do a lot of this breathing stuff on our warmups, on our daily walks, during while we're spinning up on the bike. It's so easy to integrate these things into your life.
1: So the next vital sign is about your hips. And uh, this one this one really spoke to me because my hips have been really achy lately. And so the assessment you have for this is the couch stretch. So tell us about this test and uh, what is the the couch stretch?
0: You know, if you had to pin me down and say, Kelly, what is the one thing I should do from one, one mobilization? I am obsessed with you being able to take your hip into extension. So if you imagine a lunge position, lunge shape, that's hip extension. So standing up from a squat is extending your hip, but actually taking your hip into extension is the magic. And what we find is that the way we train the session cost of our day-to-day lives, we see that people are pretty ineffective at having good full hip extension and having control in that hip extension. So what we're seeing here is that there's a lot of knee pain and a lot of back pain that's a symptom of not being able to extend your spine or extend your hip. So your knee behind butt is really the magic. It's not knees over toes. It's can you get this knee behind your butt? And the couch stretch, if you've never done it before, you can just Google couch stretch. We invented it so that we could get people doing it while they are watching TV. And basically, you start on the ground. This is the full couch. You put your knees up against the wall. Your back is away from the wall. And you put your shin in the corner where the wall meets the floor. So your foot is pointing towards the ceiling, and you're kneeling away from the wall. And then you bring your other foot up into a lunge. So it looks like sort of an exaggerated run shape, except your leg is bent up. Then I want you to do a squeeze your butt, Take five breaths. Can you raise yourself higher, get yourself more torso upright? Take five breaths and squeeze your butt. And then ultimately, can you go straight up and down? And what we find is people really struggle because their quads are so stiff, hip is so stiff, their butts turn off. That's one of the reasons now why you're running and it's wobbling your back and your hamstrings are stiff all the time because they're doing all the work that your glute should be doing. So if we can get people to improve this, it's amazing
1: how many things start to feel better. And then the daily practice for that test, you just do the test. Like you just do the couch stretch every day
0: you could we also th- throw in some isometrics show you where you can spend some time at the end of your day or during the day just put your hip into extension a little bit you know while you're washing dishes while you're hanging out squeeze your butt just do some isometrics hold that for 30 seconds we also realize that this is a great place to do some soft tissue mobilization so you can get on the ground while you're watching tv roll out your quads roll out your hips and you'll see that those systems start to improve
1: we're gonna take a quick break for your There are millions of workers, but there's only one you, with only one body. So why wear it down with lesser power tools? You deserve ease, you deserve safety, you deserve Bosch. With Bosch tools, you can raise the X-lock, hammer drill, or two-in-one with pride and know that you deserve it. Now lower it, safety first. Bosch tools, what hard workers deserve. Did you know fast growing trees is the biggest online nursery in the US with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the United States? They have everything you could possibly want like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Fast-growing trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. So I got a tree from fast-growing trees. I had a tree in my front yard that had it cut down, a big giant oak tree because it died. And I wanted to put a maple tree there, one that turned bright red during the fall. So I found that tree, made sure that it fit the climate that we're at here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Ordered it. A few days later, I got the tree in a box. It's crazy they can send a tree in a box. And I planted it. A few weeks after I planted it, Uh, it's already starting to sprout leaves. Uh, So I think in a few years, I'm going to have that bright red maple tree that happens in the fall. I'm really looking forward to that. So if you want to try fast growing trees out this spring, they have the best deals online up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off with their first purchase when using code manliness at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using code manliness at checkout fastgrowingtrees.com code manliness offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Have you ever been to an event where you just had to get the best seats? Like maybe it was a concert for your favorite band, or maybe it was an important game for your favorite team. Well, to do that, you had to you know, set an alarm uh, to get the tickets as soon as they went on sale. When you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. It's like if you are trying to hire for your business and you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. So what's the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com manliness. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best people fast. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness, M-A-N-L-I-N-E-S-S. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. There have been a lot of amazing people as guests on this podcast, but what if you want to go deeper? If you're looking somewhere to learn from the most remarkable people, that's Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 200 classes to pick from with new classes added every month, and they have over 180 world-class instructors, and a lot of them are former AOM podcast guests. For example, Chris Voss has a class on negotiation, Jocko Willink has a class on leadership, and Malcolm Gladwell has a class on writing. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. One class that I've really enjoyed is the one with Chris Voss on negotiation. My favorite lesson in that class was the lesson on tactical empathy. something we talked about in the podcast that we did with him a long time ago, uh, but he goes in deeper with this. And besides just the lectures, you get exercises so you can actually put this stuff into practice. Right now, listeners will get an additional 15% off annual membership at masterclass.com AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com AOM. masterclass.com AOM. And now back to the show. Let's talk about shoulders. Another problem that a lot of mm. uh, guys experience as they get older. Shoulders are weird, a weird thing. It's its incredible. It's got this amazing range of motion, but it can get jacked up really bad. What are the most common shoulder problems you see in, you know, the regular Joe athletes you come across? Well,
0: you know, what's interesting is think about it this way. You have the brain, which is the most complex structure in the known universe, Seriously, it is. Attached to a structure that is equally as sophisticated. So this brain-body thing we walk around in is the most extraordinary structure in the known universe. And your shoulder, let's just start by saying, is designed to last 100 years easily. So when you suddenly throw an error signal and your shoulder hurts, we want you to understand that, you know, A, that's not typical. It's a request for change. Well, what change are we talking about? Well, no one on the planet, connects range of motion to pain. And there can be a lot of things. Nothing could change. You could have incomplete range of motion, shoulders don't hurt. All of a sudden you have a baby, you're sleep deprived, you have a deadline at work, you smash a bunch of pizza, you drink some beer, it doesn't matter, whatever the stressors are, and your shoulder starts hurting. And you're like, what happened? Nothing happened except your brain became much more sensitive to your lack of tissue quality or your inability to express normal range of motion. So what we have here is a really important system. I think most people can recognize or wrap their heads around that if we were going to talk about your low back health, we really should be talking about what's going on with your pelvis and your leg too, right? It's weird how you have big muscles that attach from your spine to your leg and no one looks at how well your leg moves. So if your leg doesn't move well on your body, it can be yanking, it can be Tensioning, it can just be putting mechanical input into your lower spine. So that's why we look at the spine, the pelvis, and the leg as a system. Well, there's the same system upstream it's your neck, it's your thoracic spine, your chest, and your shoulder. They make a trifecta of positions. So if I want to improve your neck pain, I got to look at your shoulder range of motion. If I want to look at your shoulder range of motion, I also need to look at how well your thoracic spine works. Remember I told you already we're moving in that direction because we're getting you to take big breaths and breathe in your upper back? Well, what we're doing here is we've got some simple tests for you around some key range of motion positions and some isometrics that are easy to get you started on untangling what feels like a complicated system. It's not that complicated.
1: Yeah, you got two tests. My favorite was the one where you lay on the floor on your back and then you see how far you can get your arm back basically.
0: Yeah, basically it's an I, Y, and T, but really in that situation, where if your just elbows are out to your side at 90 degrees and you flex the back of your hand to the ground, we're looking at how much force you can create there. And what you see is if you're struggling to get to that position, you're weak in that position. Well, welcome to your rotator cuff. And a lot of times your rotator cuff, which, which, or rotator cup, depending on which patient is telling you about their shoulder pain, the rotator cuff is this sort of non specific idea that I have muscles that help rotate my shoulders. Well, we look at a lot of rotation capacity within our athletes. And what we see is that when you lack fundamental range of motion in your body, specifically in your shoulders, can't put my arms over my head, can't, you know, achieve some of these fundamental shapes, your force production starts to go down, which means that when you approach some of these positions at high speed, like playing golf, that can be a problem because you see a lot of inhibited musculature, a lot of force production that gets taken away. And now you're just hanging on your tissues
1: any daily practices that people can do to help their shoulder health? Oh yeah. There's a lot, but like, I mean, what's one or two that you'd recommend, right? Like do these and you'll be good.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting if we look at our movement traditions, you know, if you've, everyone listening has probably gone to a yoga class once. And when you're in there, you're like, holy crap, these people love downward dog. Why is downward dog so important? And I mean, you do so much downward dog, downward dog, downward dog. Well, downward dog is an overhead position. So, If there's one thing you could do is at least once a day, put your arms over your head, hang from a door jam, put your arms over your head, take some breaths. If you have a pull-up bar, which you should have in your house, hang from your pull-up bar. I cannot tell you how hanging will fundamentally change your life. Hang with different grips. You don't even have to hang with your feet all the way off the ground. Put a pull-up bar in your kids' doorway, but it's secretly for you. We have a pegboard in our garage. We've got pull-up bars all over the outside and inside the house in our garage. And just hanging will transform your shoulder function, transform your upper back. If you're getting that hump in your upper back and neck, hanging is the solution. What I would direct you to is some kind of shoulder motion every day. And if you did something like sun salutation, cool, that would, that would cover it. But also, if you're really interested in taking the next step on our site, we have something. And even if you Google Kelly Starrett, shoulder spin-up, you will come up. And it's a quick five-minute routine that touches a whole lot of spine shoulder positions. You don't need any equipment. I use it for all my elite athletes. I teach it to all our teams. And it's just like daily vitamins for your shoulder, even if you're not going to load your shoulder, even if it's a lower
1: leg day. Right. So you're a big fan of the squat, and that's one of your tests. Why is being able to get down into a full squat important for human durability?
0: Isn't that interesting? You know, we look at squatting as exercise, not squatting as movement choice. Lower yourself down off a a cliff or a ledge, you're going to have to squat all the way down. You know, one of the things that happens is obviously getting up and down off the ground is useful there. But it's one of the ways where we can start to expose the tissues of the body to their full range. So taking the knee and flexing it all the way, taking the ankle and flexing it all the way, letting your back round in that bottom position is really important to normalize the motion of the back. In yoga, for example, they call it malasana. And they're, they're like, it's a pelvic floor mobilization. Well, it turns out your pelvis and your femurs are connected directly to the connective tissue of your pelvis. This is why when you get kicked in the nuts, you feel a stomach ache. So what we're seeing here is that when we restore how people's hips move, it changes the connective tissue muscular systems and restores it to, again, native range. But also what you start to see is, man, you're gonna have better choice, you're gonna be able to move more effectively, and you'll see things like your wattage improve on the bike.
1: And the test is simple, is get down to a full squat.
0: You want ass to grass. That's right. That's it. I want ass to grass. Ideally, you can do that with your feet straight, but you can even turn your feet out to do that because you may not have the ankle range, but if you fall over and can't get into a full squat, man, that says a lot about you not having full access to the miracles of your body. Again, we're not talking about arguing about squat technique, I'm talking about getting up and down off the ground or taking a poo or having waiting for a bus. So it, this is very much one of those use it or lose it shapes. But the research is clear that people that toilet on the ground, sleep on the ground, they engage in a lot more squatting-like behaviors, And lo and behold, we see less osteoarthritis, we see less hip disease, we see less lumbar disease. It's almost like if we just use our bodies and just touch the ranges once in a while, tell our brains it's safe to be here, we see things like skiing or snowboarding improve.
1: In the practice of that, just squat more. Like that's something you can do throughout the day. I do that. Like after I read that chapter, like, I'm going to start squatting more. I've been squatting it's easy. during this interview. Like when you were talking, I was squatting. Oh,
0: I love it. Yeah, and, You know, that's what I think is remarkable. You know, there's a lot of opportunities for you to move in a more complete way. I mean, this is what every physical therapist, surgeon orthopedist on the planet says your hip should be able to do. And if you take all of the range of motion books and you're like, what should the ankle be able to do? It should flex this much. How much should the knee flex? How much should the hip flex? What should happen to the lumbar spine? And then you put them in a blender and shake it up. All those things together end up being a squat.
1: Yeah. My goal is to be like one of those, you know, Eighty-year-old ladies in Southeast Asia—they're just still squatting. I I want—I want to be doing that. What's so cool
0: about that is actually it's a really reasonable goal. So anyone who's starting this, for some people, it's going to be a brutal awakening, right? You're like, I thought I was super fit. I'm doing Peloton and I do my quarter squats and I look good naked, but I don't—I can't move very well. And we've certainly seen a hinge move towards movement culture, right? And one of the things that. We want everyone to hear is that muscles and tissues are like obedient dogs. And there's no reason, yes, it's gonna be harder to maintain your muscle mass as you get older, but there's no reason you have to lose your range of motion ever at any age. So one of the things you can absolutely do your whole life is actually have access to your range of motion. Cause you can imagine if your elbows got stiff all of a sudden, you're like, well, it's not a big deal. I just can't feed myself anymore. You know what I mean? Like that's crazy. If your life depended on getting up and down, then you would be really good at getting up and down. I was just in Japan with some friends and we were staying at this cool mountain hotel as we were doing some backcountry skiing and one of our friends got sick, and I was like, "Hey, I really should not spend a, you know a few days in this room with this sick guy. Do you guys have any other rooms?" And they were like, "We don't and then we were like, "This hotel is huge. What do we you you don't have any rooms?" They didn't have any white person rooms, Western rooms. What they had was traditional Japanese rooms, but the Americans who've been there before haven't been able to use those rooms because you sleep on the ground on a futon, because the table is set for you to kneel and sit cross-legged, because the shower is built for you to squat and sit in. The whole thing was organized around a person being able to move through the environment. Even the controls for the room were set up at sitting height. So I was like, oh, no problem. I got it. And they were like, really? You can do it. Like, look at you, you're a huge guy. And I was like, it's no problem. Trust me, I can, I can squat.
1: Uh, okay, so squatting is one. The next test you talk about is the old man balance test. What is, mm. what is this one? We have this friend named Chris Hinshaw
0: who is an incredible coach. And he tried to come up with a test where he could beat his kids at. And what this challenge is all about balance. And one of the things that we know is that fall risk in the elderly is gnarly. But when we started working on foot strength and foot capacity and balance in our athletes, worked it into games, made them spend more time on one leg, pressing, single leg deadlifts, things like that, man, their athleticism went through the roof. And so what we realized is that we need some better ways to challenge people's range of motion and their balance and control just day-to-day, little microbalances. Because think about it. You're, someone falls in your family like, go to this balance class because your balance got so bad. Now you have to go get formal training. That's crazy. Look, here's a simple test for everyone. It's called the SOLEC. Ready for it? Standing one leg, eyes closed. Stand on one leg. Don't put your foot down for 20 seconds. I bet you're going to be shocked at what happens when I take away your eyes. And what Turns out is that if your feet are stiff, if your feet are always in foot coffins, shoes, if your feet aren't strong, you're really going to struggle. If you don't have good ankle range of motion, this is going to be difficult for you. And what we're trying to do is just bring this awareness of balance and play should be happening in sports. So if you're riding mountain bikes and playing soccer and pickleball and you're moving your body, chances are this gonna not be a problem for you. But for a lot of people who are, are not doing those things, you're going to be shocked at how bad your balance is and it's only going to get worse unless we play play with it. So the old man balance test is really simple. Every time you put your shoes and socks on, do it one leg at a time. So stand on your left leg, put your right sock on, don't put your foot down, put your shoe on, tie it, don't put your foot down. You're going to have to reach down and grab it. You're going to have to balance. And so every single time you put your shoes and socks on, you can practice a little bit of one or two minutes of balance and I guarantee it's going to kick your butt.
1: Yeah, and then you talk about at your house, uh, you have different just balance things you can do like maybe you put like it's you just could put like a two by four in your house oh, and just nailed it you, how about hair. that
0: you can put a broomstick down yeah and just balance on the broomstick but you know i'm a huge fan of having a, a like a, a dynamic work environment where i want choice i want to be able to perch against the bar stool i want to stand i want to but on the ground i have a bunch of balance stuff so i just do this when i'm at work if i'm on calls i'm standing on a thing called a slack block which is like a portable slack line in your house. It's tiny, it doesn't take up any space. I'm standing on one leg, balancing on the slack block while I'm talking on the phone. And so I get so many hours every week of working on my balance. Does it improve my biking? Yes. Does it improve my skiing? Yes. Does it improve my lifting? Yes.
1: Another practice you talk about is just standing more, walking more, moving more throughout the day. If you have a desk job, it doesn't have to be that you're in a chair eight hours. There's different ways you can the, work, right?
0: Yes, and if you look, I don't talk about this much, but you know, I had the great pleasure of working uh, with a former U.S. president. I've worked with and uh, supported a couple presidents, and this one president was pretty prolific book writer, but could not write at a standing desk. So what we had to do is create an environment for this former president to get more movement at the desk because he felt like his best writing happened when he was still. And so that meant we needed to make sure that we were introducing a place to put his foot and a chair that wiggled more. And you know what I want you to realize is that we didn't come up with this arbitrarily. Harvard defines sedentary lifestyle as sitting more than six hours a day. That's an aggregate. That's all you're sitting. That means driving in the car, picking up your kids, all of that. So what we're trying to do is not battle our physiology, but it turns out, so right now I'm talking to you at a standing desk, but I'm actually perching on a bar stool. So I've got my foot on the ground. I got one foot up. And in this position, because I'm perching and I'm not sitting, I'm actually above this thing called one and a half metabolic equivalents, which is how much energy my body is using to just function in the background. But the sedentariness is that falling below that one and a half. So sitting in most chairs You fall below one and a half. And that's what we're trying to not do. I need you to accumulate enough non exercise activity that you actually fall asleep. One of the things that we found was that a lot of people were working out, weren't actually moving, still didn't actually get enough sleep or find they had enough sleep pressure. What we found was that working with Delta Force, of all the technology that they had access to, they had their guys walk 12 to 15,000 steps a day in addition to their training and it knocked down all their insomnia problems. It really started to make everything better. So if you want to adapt better to your training, you want to fall asleep faster, you want to feel better, we need to look at how much your total movement is and conversely, how to limit your total sedentary time.
1: And this does a lot of things. It's going to clear out your systems. You talked about that earlier. Motions, lotions. So it's going to you're going to move and not feel achy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, I think the sleep component is really important. I've noticed that as well. When I move more, I have the best sleep. Like the best sleep of my life was when Kate and I went to Italy for, I don't know, some, she was doing some sort of school thing. Went to Italy. You walk around Rome all <laughs> you day. You walk 20,000, yeah, 30,000 steps. Probably, yeah. A day. It was like, it was insane the amount we walked. And I remember we got to the hotel, just laid down. We were just like, oh, we're taking a nap. And we were, it was like 15 <laughs> hours later. You know, you, kids come back from summer camp and
0: they're just exhausted and sunburned. That's the game, but for adults. And you just really nailed it. And what I want people to understand is we can come at this any way you want. But one of the ways that's important to me is that it's a hidden calorie burner in my day. So I love dessert, I love ice cream, I love cookies. I'm never gonna turn those things down, ever. If they're combined, it's even better. But when we wrote DeskBound, my wife found a little like conversion, little calculator, and if she just stood and didn't sit at her, just during her workday, in the course of a year was 100,000 calories. I outweigh her by almost 100 pounds. That's 170,000 extra calories I burn every year. That's like 35 marathons. And all I have to do is just not sit while I'm working. I'm talking about perching, fidget, messing around, walk a little bit. And notice that we didn't say you have to get 10,000 steps. We saw that all of the benefits really start to kick in at six to 8,000 steps. Which is really reasonable if you just start throwing in short walks after your meals, you take a call, you go for a little stroll in your neighborhood. It's easy to get six to eight thousand steps. But the average adult gets less than three. So it's difficult for me to be sensitive to your foot pain and your Achilles and your junky tissues if you're not moving more during the
1: day, which means you just have to be more conscious of it. And this is important, this daily movement is important, particularly for those who are, like you said, exercising regularly. Cause they're thinking, well, I'm good. I got my hour of cardio in, I got my hour yeah. of weight training in. But He's you're pa- you're probably still sedentary. That's right. Yeah.
0: And if you've ever flown on an airplane and look down, you're like, why do my ankles, I have cankles. What's up, my ankles are swollen. That's what we're talking about your lymphatic system is backing up. Because you didn't move your muscles, you ended up collecting fluid in your ankles. That is edema. But really what's happening there is that it's failure of, that's why they're, you know, if you ever go in the hospital, they're like, pump your legs, do calf pumps. Here are these things. We don't want you to get a DVT. That deep vein thrombrosis happens because people are sedentary in the hospital and they're so freaked out about it, they hire a physical therapist to come in and tell you to wiggle your feet.
1: Okay, so we talked about uh, movement. Get your steps in. Don't sit down all day. Don't have to stand up all day, but just move around. You've mentioned sleep. If you're having problems with sleeping, moving a lot will help you sleep. Nutrition. What role does nutrition, you're a physical therapist, and one of the first things you ask is, what are you eating? What role does nutrition play in recovery and just our ability to move well?
0: You know, nutrition, for better or for worse, has become identity politics for so many people. And it's identity. And it's a hobby. And it's a sport. And it's a full contact sport if you get on the internet and talk about your diet. Universally, what we can start to say is everyone on the planet has protein minimums. You should get this amount of protein. And a really reasonable amount for everyone is 0.7 grams per pound of body weight, which turns out, if you're sedentary, that's probably enough. But if you're over 50 or you're exercising or trying to change your body composition, it probably is a little bit closer to one gram per pound body weight. So you're keto, cool. You're carnivore? Cool. You're paleo? Cool. You're Whole30? Cool. You're vegan or vegetarian? Cool. Just show me you get this much protein. And what we find is that if you're trying to change your body composition or you're trying to recover, but you don't have the building blocks on hand to do that, you're not going to see the gains you want either way for body composition or otherwise. But the other part of that is that based on some really good data, we find that people don't get enough micronutrients. There is not a single study in the world that says improving your fiber intake doesn't improve your health. Well, The easiest way to do that is actually eat fruits and vegetables. And so, what we found is based on our, one of our friends, EC Sinkowski, her company is at Optimize Me Nutrition she has something called the 800 gram challenge. And every single day she challenges people to eat 800 grams of fruits and vegetables. And you're like, I don't like vegetables. Cool. Eat it in fruits. I don't eat apples. Cool. eat do it in berries and rutabaga. I don't really care. But it turns out when we get more micronutrients in all the polyphenols, all the vitamins, all the minerals, you can do that with four big apples a day. But when we get into people's diets, and we're trying to talk about soft tissue health and connective tissue health and brain health, whatever it is, low gut health, turns out fiber and micronutrients and protein make the basis. For people who are trying to lose weight, when we ask them to eat more and expand their choices, it's the first time in their life they're like, holy shit, I had to eat so much To meet these minimums, we're like, yeah, welcome to it. A pound of cherries is 230 calories. Go ahead and OD. Let me know what happens. What you're (laughs) going to see is there's so much food available to you. We don't want to be restrictive anymore. We want people to hit this baseline. If you ate a pound
1: of cherries, I think you'd be on the toilet. It's an illustrative point. <laughs> eat a pound of melon.
0: You know, eat four <laughs> apples. You know I mean? It really is. And you're suddenly, I'm like, yeah. You know, the other day, I went to, went to Trader Joe's, got myself a flat of blackberries. They're just gorgeous. And I ate the entire thing. It was like 400 grams, 350, 400 grams, like almost half of my micronutrients for the day. And it was 230 calories. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's I was not like, much. I love cookies. One cookie from Starbucks is like 350 calories. Oh, so yeah. what we get is all of this benefit where I'm full, I'm getting all these nutrients. Somehow we demonize fruit. That was ridiculous. We're like, fruit is sugar. What a bunch of horse crap that is. It's not the bananas and apples that are the problem. If you eat more micronutrients and fruits and vegetables and get enough protein, your body will start to turn the lights back on.
1: So, this is great. And then at the end of the book, you have a schedule for people to follow if they're trying, trying to figure out how can I incorporate all this stuff into yeah. my day to day. And as you said, like you don't have to like, make time. Like, I, I'm going to do an hour of my built to move routine. No, it's like, yeah, no. Just you wake up, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to get my steps in. Whenever I'm uh, taking a break or on the phone, I'm going to walk around. I'm going to get down in a squat. You can just do this stuff as like health. Health shouldn't be a, a block on your schedule, it should just be a part of your day.
0: Yeah. And you know, what we found is when we handed this thing to our world champion athletes, they were always viewing it through the lens of, I want to go faster. I don't want to do it more often. And they found blind spots that enabled them to work harder. And when we applied it and gave this to non-exercisers, like we have some publishers who work with us in the UK who are not exercisers and who like love pork pies, like they they don't, they were like, just reading this changed my framework and how I perceived the world around me. And it changed me in making different subtle choices that all compound over time to really make radical changes where you can feel better. And again, work harder and show up and feel fresher.
1: That's really the game. Well, Kelly, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about the book and your work? Go to -to builttomove.com. We've got actually... When
0: the book comes out, we've got a twenty-one day built-to-move challenge. It's free, and it's basically a video a day, just kind of supporting some of these ideas, just to bring you through. You can aim your friends at it. You know, we are at the ready state on all the socials. You know, and if you want interested in more about how to assess your body more completely, we've got the app and everything else.
1: Fantastic. Well, Kelly Starrett,
0: thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Keep putting out the good word, my friend.
1: Thank you, sir. My guest today was Kelly Starette. He's the co-author of the book Built to Move. It's available on Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can find more information about his work at his website, theReadyState.com. Also, check out our show notes at AOM.is/slash Built to Move, where you can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM Podcast. Make sure to check out our website at artofmanless.com where you find our podcast archives, as well as thousands of articles written over the years about pretty much anything you can think of. And if you'd like to enjoy ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to stitcherpremium.com, sign up, use code Manlis at checkout for a free month trial. Once you're signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android iOS, and you start enjoying ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who think would get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. Until next time, this is Brett McKay, reminding you to not only listen to the AOM podcast, but put what you've heard into action.